Again, I thank you this morning, Jason, for the prayers, for the prayer. (laughs) As I told the congregation before, I need prayer. I need it. How many need it? It's not a matter of do you want to be prayed for. (laughs) I need to be prayed for. We need to be prayed for. It's so good to be here this morning. And again, uh, first service, really enjoy uh, the Lord's blessing and how he blesses us. You know, when, when the body of Christ comes together, you know, uh, when we uni- are, are in unity, the Lord loves to see his children. Just like uh, in our families and, and, and in our lives, we love to see the, uh, our families unified. Uh, God loves when the body of Christ is unified, when we're in unity. We will experience God's blessings like never before when we're unified. And that's what this is about when we come together, is being in God's presence. I love being in God's presence, amen? And I also love being with God's people. It's a blessing to be here this morning. I want you to introduce you to my wife. She did not stand the first service. Honey, get up and say hello to the folks. (laughs) Yes, she is a blessing to me. And I hope I'm a blessing to her. Amen. <laughs> uh, we, we've been, uh, I met her when I was in high school. I did make it to high school, y'all. <laughs> did I get out of high school? That's another question. They put me out. <laughs> I said, dude, you got to go. It's only four years, man. <laughs> you got you only got a little time to do this thing. <laughs> but uh, I met her in high school and we, uh, as people say, I guess they call us high school sweethearts. Is that what they call us? Yeah, your heart was sweet, baby. <laughs> and I, but we uh, married. Now we're, we'll be celebrating 39 years of marriage this year. So uh, we're thankful for God, how God's blessed that. And uh, yeah. You know, Marie's my wife, but she's, a, she's my friend. And um, we're talking about friends this morning. And um, in the Likewise series that you all have been having this summer or in the last few weeks or more, uh, you've been talking about the wisdom of God. And God's wisdom is like no other wisdom. There is man's wisdom. And we, ex- we get to uh, have that and hear that, experience man's wisdom. But there's a wisdom that supersedes any wisdom that you and I may ever get, and it's God's wisdom. And you and I need to know the difference, okay? We need to know, we got some smart men and wise people in this world. We do. I experience, I get wisdom from them. But it doesn't compare to the wisdom of God. And that's what the Likewise series, I hope, is helping us to see. It's that God has wisdom for you and I. That each journey of your life, every season of your life, it doesn't matter how young you are, young person, or how old you are, sir or ma'am, God has wisdom for you in this life. From From the womb to the tomb, God's wisdom 
will guide you. It'll protect you. In sickness and in health, when poor or rich, it doesn't matter with God. It's not contingent on that. It's the wisdom of God. Our God reigns. He rules. He's awesome. And I want to hear from him. You know, I shared with the congregation in the first service, if Satan can stop you from praying, talking to God, getting God's wisdom, he's got a foothold on your life and my life. He has a way to get in Miss and misdirect Melvin. You ever been misdirected by someone? I picked up my phone one time and I said, okay. I'm going, <laughs> I, I need to get to this place here and I put the information in. I didn't say Siri. I called mine Alicia. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. It didn't take me to the place that I put in my phone. Even sometimes your GPS don't work. We depend on GPS. I mean, a lot of times it's pretty accurate, right? It'll get you where you're going. But sometimes it don't. And that's sometimes man's wisdom. Don't get you where you're going. But God's wisdom will get you to the destination every time. It won't miss a beat. It's not plugged in here. It's plugged in here. Come on, somebody. Not plugged into this electrical. You're not going to lose your power, y'all. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A couple of weeks ago, we had a storm. My power went out, or at least it glitched. That power don't glitch, y'all. I don't have to call energy. I say, y'all, Evergy, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> My wife corrected me, Evergy. This morning, our scripture is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. The value of a friend. Wow, just saying friend makes me smile. The value of a friend. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 7 through 12. Let's read those together. It'll be up on the screen. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. And when it says man, it means right. I would like a human, a person, woman or man. There was a man all alone. This is an observation of Solomon. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Mm. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. Jason, he's not in the house. He's probably doing something else right now. There he is, brother, waved at me. Jason, this guy, 
For whom am I toiling, he asked Jason. And he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Y'all, he had no friends. Life was miserable. Miserable for him. So why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is void, meaningless, a miserable business. You ever had a bad business? Your business owner, your business ever been bad? Or the business of life been bad? Next verse. Solomon observes this observation. Say it with me together. Let's read verse 9. Two are better than one because to have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, this is why, why I said this, 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 this return on the labor is so good. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Or oh, what we living in a day, y'all. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Wow. Next verse. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. I noticed this in the homeless community where we serve, how important, how important it is that, that they, they even have somebody or somebodies. They may start out alone being homeless or houseless or however we uh, uh, define it, and, and, and they realize the importance of having somebody else. I watch how they walk around in our hood, okay, neighborhood. In groups. Clarissa, they are together in groups because they understand two are better than one. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. It brings some sense of security. The security guard almost escorted me to my car this morning when I walked in because I'm teasing. <laughs> Clarissa's husband, we were teasing. Clarissa came over, they're giving you trouble. Uh, no. <laughs> mm. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Mm. Wow. Think about this, church, while these reading these verses. Next, verses. A cord of three strands is not quickly. It didn't say it. No, I, I, it's not quickly broken. Think about that. Some translations say easily broken. Okay? The more united the more cords that are together, less likely broken, y'all. Fewer cords, break, break, break. One cord, break. Don't take much to destroy it or break it. 
Anybody familiar with the power team? They used to go around and do these ex type of exhibits, these real strong guys like me. Y'all see how buff I am? Okay, that's my shirt. It makes me look bigger than I am. No. But they used to do these exploits where they would take a telephone book, and these guys are so strong, they would rip it. They take a hot water balloon. I would never do this. I don't care how strong I was. And blow it up like a balloon until it would burst. Wow. But it wasn't an easy thing to do. I'm afraid in the church that Satan has found a way to easily, quickly, break us, separate us, segregate us, hurt us, painfully hurt us, turn us toward each other. Not to unite, but fight. I'm afraid that the church today, that element of friendship is not even happening in some parts of the body because of cultural differences, because of ethnic differences, because of all these things that the enemy has used in our world. And we're not guided by the world. We're guided by the, say it with me, word. The world don't guide the church. The word guides us. It strengthens the courts. It unites us. It don't divide us. It builds friendships. It helps us say things that are wise. We don't go, walk, some of us don't go around saying that I don't see color. If y'all don't see I'm a black man up here this morning, I need to check, you need to go get your eyes checked. <laughs> if I don't see your ethnicity, God help me. Thank you, Lord. I see them now. <laughs> really? Jesus worked. They tell me now, I haven't really studied this for myself. They tell me Jesus did more miracles of the healing of the eyes than any miracle he ever worked. He opened the blinded eyes. Because eyes that see are common. I mean, eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. Jesus said, I want to open your eyes. One of my favorite songs, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Eyes that look are common. Eyes that see are rare. What do you see? How's the Holy Spirit opening up your eyes? Well, he, uh, Solomon here opens our eyes. You know, Nate shared with me, Pastor Nate, that's y'all pastor, y'all. <laughs> Thank God for Nate. I met him a couple of months ago, and he, uh, we got to have coffee together and sit and chat, talk. 
and uh, really a blessing to meet your pastor. Thank, thank, thank you, Nate, when you listen to this, for having invited me to come and be a part of the family here. But Nate shared this from the second sermon of the Likewise series. Uh, he shared this definition of wisdom. He said, it says that wisdom is knowledge applied to life experience, but not just any life experience. It acknowledged, or its knowledge, of, it's applied to specifically your life experience and my life experience, your unique life experience, your circumstances, your God-given calling and future hopes and dreams. I hope that you are still dreaming, sir. Ma'am, I hope that you are still dreaming. Yeah. Having visions from God of what God wants to do in our lives, in the church, in the world as a whole. I hope and pray that you still have vision. Don't let your visions die. Don't let your prayers stop asking God. That's why there are times that what is wise for one person is not always wise for you. You may want to give your son or daughter or your grandchildren some wisdom, but that may not be, may not work for them. Though it worked for you. And it's not a matter all the time of whether we're, whether it's, when it comes to wisdom, whether you're right or wrong. Because you can, you can win the fight and lose the war with our kids or with people in relationships. Oh yeah, you won that time, but you lost them. Oh, mom and dad, you're right. Oh, church, you're right. And you won that argument, but you lost them. Jesus wasn't like that, y'all. Jesus knew how to build friendships, relationships. And he knew who he was fighting against. He knew it wasn't against that man or that woman. You know, the wisdom that you and I can apply to our life, Dr. Zucks, Z-U-C-K-S, this is his definition, similar to the one we've already read. Dr. Zucks' definition of wisdom is being skillful and successful in one's relationships. Wow, skillful and successful in your friendships and responsibilities. How many know in friendship there comes responsibilities? for the ones who we befriend and the ones that befriend us. Observing and following God's principle, the creator's principles of order in, in, in the moral universe. Holy Spirit will guide and lead us and continues to guide and lead us. And I'm looking out at an audience of people that know this. You have experienced this. 
God in times and seasons of your life have taught you this. And guess what? I want to encourage you about something. When you enter into God's will and purpose, you don't graduate until you graduate. Okay? It ain't over until... That's what we learned with Lazarus. That's what we learned with Lazarus. God said it ain't over until it's over. Lazarus come forth. Jesus called him out of that grave. Sir and ma'am, you might not be as strong as you used to be. You may not even quick think as quick as you, but it ain't over, okay? Because you wouldn't be sitting here this morning. You'd be then graduated. He'd have gave you your papers. Oh, you're not as strong, sir, or ma'am, as you used to be. You're not as quick-witted as you used to be. Uh, Or young person, you're not as experienced in life and these things in life as you need to be or will learn to be. But you haven't graduated. And as soon as you pass one course, guess what? There's another one. God wants to teach us. And boy, when we learn those lessons, we quit tripping, y'all. Y'all know what what tripping is? That's what Israel did. They were tripping. 40 years in the wilderness, y'all. They were tripping. Boy, we ain't getting nowhere. That's a trip. They were tripping. I said, Yang, all right, get your bags. Let's go again. Some of them try to be cool in it. I don't care. I got this, God. You know, know, God said, you you haven't got it yet. You haven't graduated. I haven't graduated until we graduate. Paul said, for me to live is... Christ, right? To die is. I know people, persons who have gained at two and three years old, babies. They got the gain early. I'm 58, getting ready to turn 59. For me to live is Christ. I haven't got the gain yet. I sorrow at kids' deaths, but they get the game quicker than I did. To live is Christ. Paul said to die is game. We get it tricked. We get it mixed up. We think to the life, I'm not undermining life. Life is a blessing no matter how long you live. But that's not game, y'all. That's Christ living in. Paul said, live out for Christ in this life. To die is gain. That's wisdom. You know, when you think about friends, there's a couple of people that I think about in the Bible because, number one, two are more personally profitable than one. That's my first point. I said, thank for getting there, Melvin. Two are more personally 
profitable than what? The Message Bible, let's skip to the Message Bible if we have that up. It paraphrases it like this. It's better to have a partner than go it alone. Then it says share the work. And then I put in there, this is mine, because this is not a do-it-yourself Christianity. I is very rarely mentioned. In the Bible, you see we a lot. Share the work, share the wealth. You know what God wants more than your money and my money? He wants us. He wants you. He wants me. Money don't make the man or the person. The person makes money, okay? People make money valuable. Valuable don't make people valuable. Money don't make people valuable. People make money valuable. Money's a tool that we use here. This world doesn't have that wisdom. They think you, the more you have a material wealth and all of those things is what make you valuable. We wear some expensive fig leaves, y'all. I was going to come out with a, some clothes called fig leaves. That's my product. That's my fig leaves. Buy your fig leaves. Thank God they cover us up. Lord Jesus, thank you. And that's what they are for, to cover you up. It don't give you value. Adam and Eve were still valuable to God naked. And they were still valuable with their fig leaves. To him, he befriended them in the garden. In their sin. We'll talk about that a little later in the sermon. You know, one of the things that's driving people today is individualism. Now, I'm going to try this French word again this morning. I tried it on the first, in the first sermon. Laissez-faire. Laissez-faire. This is an attitude of life. Now, the theory of an individual, this is what laissez-faire, what that French language means. Leave the individual alone, and there should be minimum interference in their function by the government. It should be left to the will of the person, the individual, to do what they desire. Letting things like their own, letting things take their own course without interference, without interfering. Let them do what they want to do, when they want to do it, at the time they want to do it. Let them go. That's freedom. How many know that's more captive living, incarcerated living, prison living, than freedom? God wouldn't do you like that. 
God knows this about us. Everybody needs somebody. <laughs> somebody is needed by everybody. Some people are like, I like that. Let's say Oh, yes, I don't need nobody. I like being by myself. The first creation of God didn't like being by himself. He looked around after he named everything, said, hold up, swallowed up, what's up for me? And then this beautiful creation of God, he said, whoa, man. God met a need because he was alone. He felt alone. Now, however you interpret that, however you think God was, whatever God was doing, how, what God knew that man didn't know, what God knew that Adam well, after he named every animal and didn't find anyone for himself, let that speak to you. Let God show us the wisdom of how important it is for friends and for people to be unified. For, for God to meet that need for Adam was awesome. I love dogs, cats. They cool. I got about 20 of them living next door to me. My neighbor loved cats. And you know, in the hood, we used the word cat. Like, what's up, cat? And I wasn't talking to them. I was talking to a, dude, a person. We used slang, you know. What's up, dog? Oh, not the dogs. The dude, dude, what's up? I like animals. But they don't meet, and I've got to be careful with this. They don't need the human touch that we need. Oh, I'm not nothing against that. Adam knew that. Adam still felt something. And God gave him a friend, a person. Think about that. I love Colt, our dog. Oh, my wife corrected me. I can't even call the dog names, so that goes to show you how much I love him. No. <laughs> She said, Coke, not coat. No, no. But God knows something about that. You need a friend. I need a friend. Wow. Now don't go home and get rid of your cats and dogs. Keep, keep, keep them. Take care of them. They're created too. God knows everyone. God knows everybody needs somebody. Somebody is needed by everyone. Personally, number two, my next point, two are personally protected. You know, this is what I love about some of the stories in the Bible. There was a young lady by the name of Ruth. Naomi, 
uh, was her mother-in-law. Let me say that again. Naomi was her mother-in-law. Y'all know all the things we hear about mother-in-laws. And, and you know, sometimes people jokingly, because I love all my in-laws. I mean, outlaws. I mean, in-laws. No, what are they? In-laws? No. I love my mother-in-law. Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, her daughter in love, really. In Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, listen to what Ruth said. Don't urge me to leave you or turn my back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die. What if a friend told you that? Where you die, I'll die. There I will be buried there. May the Lord deal with me. Listen to what Ruth is telling her. Be it ever severely, if even death separates you and I. Wow. And this is her daughter-in-law who befriended her mother-in-law. Think about that friendship. David and Jonathan, you all know the story of them, but listen to this in 1 Samuel chapter 18. It says, as soon as they had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as if it was his own soul. Wow. Can't have friendship without relationship, amen? Look at that relationship that these two guys have. His father didn't even like David. You might not even like your daughter's husband. Somebody said, nope. <laughs> or vice versa. Wow. His father was jealous of David. Jonathan was jealous for David. What would it look like in the church if we cross uh, uh, racial barriers or we cross cultural barriers or we, and, and befriended one another and our souls are knit? That's what the Holy Spirit does. It knits the soul of people together, unify. The church started out mostly Jewish for those who study. And we hear a great report of it. In Acts, how they were in unity. They were in one accord. And it was mostly Jewish, if not all Jewish. By the end of Acts, the church was mostly Gentile. Look what the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 7. There was, Stephen got stoned. Not drunk, y'all. He... Praise the Lord. No. 
After chapter 7, Peter was led to the house of Cornelius. See, when the Holy Spirit leads our lives and relationships and friendships, we will cross barriers. We will do things that we wouldn't normally do. We'll apologize. We'll, we'll do things like ask people's forgiveness. We will, we, we, will be in, we, we, we will suffer with them through the pains and the hurts of life. Jesus and mankind. The ultimate example of friendship, and not just friendship, relationship. The relationship piece is a huge in our friendship journey. Jesus, John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. Christ is the purest example of a friend that you and I will ever find. Who's your friend? Who's your best friend? Jesus is my best friend, y'all. And it's a growing, always changing relationship that he's teaching me so that I can befriend others the way he's taught me and not see, see people as people. We tend to see people as we see people. God said, I want you to see them the way I see them. Wow, somebody say amen on that one. You know, when I was preparing this sermon, I thought of some friends, people that I've met along the journey of my life that I needed to call. I told my wife of one young man, one guy I met some 10, 15 years ago. I haven't talked to him in a while. I said, I need to call him. He was a friend. And what separated us, can I be transparent with you all? Can I? Come on, family, help me now. <laughs> I'm about to tell y'all some stuff, and I'm not going to use his name because I do love him. He is my friend. He got into some things that were not good. And it challenged me, sister. Brother, it challenged me as a believer. As a friend. I, we stayed at his place. He treated best hospitality me and my wife have ever, one of the best times of hospitality we've ever experienced was with him. And he got into a lifestyle that I didn't even know he was in till later on in our friendship. Then I heard he'd done something. I separated myself from him. I'm before you telling you I was wrong. It pains me to even talk about it. I told my wife I need to call him. And my wife said, yeah, you really need to call him. You know, friendships will be tested. And they're not always good. What we 
have challenges with in our friendship. And the best posture I can come from, I believe, is let them make decisions whether they will respond. We don't determine outcomes. We come out. We come out. We walk by faith, not by, even in friendships. We walk by faith. If you're at odds with somebody in your business or in your family or in your community and everything, walk by faith. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Let God give you wisdom on how to befriend them. Better protected. Two are better protected. You know, Solomon notices the importance. Ruth expresses the feelings to her mother-in-law. Jesus demonstrated the value mm, of friendship. Jesus said, even when he ascended, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send my other friend. Who was that? The Holy Spirit. Wow. God, thank you for befriending me. Us. Because there were times when Jesus looked out on the people and saw them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He was torn inside when he saw that. The Bible called it compassion. See, a lot of the church, some of the church, we got passion. We got the, 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 the zeal and enthusiasm, but we need compassion. Compassion to move your hands and feet, your mouth to say something when you need to speak. I'm not a rapper, y'all, but it's <laughs> it will, won't it, brothers and sisters? It'll give you wisdom to speak. Your hands, your feet get to moving. Your life, you give your life. They didn't take Jesus' life, gave it. They didn't take Paul's life. Paul died. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul gave his life for the gospel's sake. It cost. But it's not a loss. It's not a loss, church. They thought if they killed the messenger, they killed the message. They thought that, sisters, brothers. They said, well, we get rid of that dude. We get rid of Hillcrest. people over at Hillcrest praying for us in our community. We don't want them praying for us. We don't even want them going outside. They four doors. Now, y'all got more than four doors. 
So God gave y'all exit out all over this place. You know, I heard this a long time ago where our exit signs is, somebody said they ought to put under their disciples' entrance. Right below the exit sign, put disciples' entrance. So when you're walking out, you're walking out into a world to be a light, to be salt. You're walking out to be what God called you to be, to befriend somebody, to love and let the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit manifest themselves through and in your life to someone else. Don't get the attitude, my foe, and no more. If you got a family of four like I do. Don't sit at the dinner table by yourself with just you and your family. Invite somebody over. Two things the church should never get rid of. It's the word and a table. That you can sit around and commune with people with. Some of you ladies can cook. You can turn it and burn it. Your food tastes so good and the only, body, only person knows is you and uh, you. <laughs> and what I love about that and Clarissa and I, we were talking about, uh, we're going to plan a time to be together, Maria and I and Clarissa and her husband, we're going to all be together to have a dinner, to food. Clarissa, first thing Clarissa said, I, I, he can cook. They said they, they would like to come see the ministry because she knows about the ministry, but he hasn't visited. And, and the first thing they talked about, let's eat together. That's important. That's wisdom. That's life. Some folks just live it. They don't have life. I came that you might have life. And have it to the fullest. I feel sad because I used to be a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for about 15 years. And one thing with our youth, it drove me to do what I do because I, I, I thought, and in my mind, in my heart somewhere, that they wouldn't experience life. Oh, yeah, they had all the gadgets, they had cell phones and video games, and they had access to all kinds. I said, no, that's not life. And I wanted them to hear what life was about. Who, who gives life? So I would talk to them about the words of wisdom that Solomon would give. I was just talking to them about a week ago about it. I'm sitting in a room with about 30 kids that don't even, these young people are immigrants to, our, to the country. And they, they're, they're growing up in Islam, Muslim faith. And I'm sitting there talking to them about the wisdom of Solomon. I said, Solomon was the richest man during his day and time. He could have came out, and I kind of flipped it in where they would understand. He could have came out with a new cell phone. I mean, they didn't use cell phones, but I was trying to get there and connect with them where they find their value. He could have came out with some new shoes. Sandals, solos, <laughs> the best ones you could buy. 
He could have did this. He had the money to do it. He could have came out with a chariot boy that was like, yo, y'all, we rolling. <laughs> In our day, a new car. That's electric. Boy, gas is high. high. Me and my wife was going to walk over. <laughs> I'm teasing. He could have did all of this, I was telling the young people. He was the richest man of his day. He was famous and known. But he didn't give them something that they can put on. He gave them something that they can put in. He gave them wisdom. He wrote a book of wisdom to two young people. He wanted to deposit something in them, not just put something on them. The world wants to put something on you. It don't want to put nothing in you. So that's how I was talking to the young people. The world will have you looking good on the outside and care nothing about the inside. God is different. His wisdom when we're having friendships and building friendships, God will start in us so that we can do something outside of us, beyond what we would ever think on our own. That's the wisdom of God. Last point, church. Two are more personally powerful than one. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand. Verse 12. Don't go into this life or into, you know, Marines. Marines are trying. Who's a Marine in the house? Anybody went? Was a Marine? Oh, we got a Marine in the back. And, and he can testify to this. Marines are trained to dig foxholes big enough for two. Marines are trained to do this. The church needs to be trained to do things that are just beyond ourselves. Looking out for, again, my foe and no more. I have neighbors. I have brothers and sisters in Christ that God wants me to know and wants me to walk with. And they be a blessing to me and I'll be a blessing to them. That's what God wants. Don't fight the wars of life alone. You will not win by yourself. We need, do, we need to do it as a church. We need to fight these wars as a church. And we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Paul said we wrestle. He didn't say I wrestle, y'all. He didn't say I. He said we wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle not, I'm sorry, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So our war is not against people. Flesh and blood. We're, we want to win people. We don't want to war against them. With all this foolishness in our world, this division going on, no matter what's causing it, we are not warring against people. We want to win people. We want to be an example to people in this world. We want to be a light. We want to win them for Christ's sake, y'all. Not war against them. We're warring against Satan. Y'all know this. I know y'all know this. You know this. 
Do it as a community, a church community, as a family, as a friend. You know, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said the gates of hell won't have no success. See, the church is not. We have great churches because we have a great God. We have great men and women of God because we have a great God in men and women. Jesus said, without me, you can do everything. That's not what the scripture teaches. And do you know, you all know what the Hebrew word for nothing means? Nothing. <laughs> you know what the Greek word for nothing means, brothers and sisters? Nothing. He said it's impossible. Because he knew who we were warring against. He knew who, what, who would come up against our friendships and our unity as a church. He knew and he said, without me. Jim, he said, without him, we can do nothing. We think we're doing something without him. We're doing nothing, Jim. We need Christ. We need each other. We need friendships. Solomon's words of wisdom for us as we journey in this life is how valuable that is to have a friend. How valuable it is. Let's pray. Here's a song that we sung. The second song we sung I want to invite you as my sister leads us again this morning with this song. The song so blessed me as we sang it, sang it this morning. Pray that as we exit out into the disciples' entrance, that you think about something this week. As I did, as I was preparing this, I thought about one of my friends. Who are your friends? How's it going with your friendship? How do you value it? We're going to sing this song. I want you to think about that also, and how the Lord has spoke to you this morning in some way. Hallelujah. You could stand if you can. Yeah.